We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Oh, everybody, guess what? It's been a crazy couple of days. It's the last week of January and early February, so of course you know what that means. SF Sketchfest! So, um, this year was a little bit different. Actually, it was a lot different. Um, uh, this uh, Lately, uh, I have had sort of a shift in... Uh, attitude or temperament or whatever you want to call it Uh, and I uh, have decided that taking a class doesn't mean you're going to do a thing no sir all it means is um, I am interested in that thing and I wish to learn about it from a professional person So uh, a while back, you know, we did the beekeeping class. I had no intention of keeping bees. Are you kidding me? If I wasn't in that giant suit, you know, with the, you know, fencing mask, uh, I wouldn't have even considered being, I hate bees. But I did it because I was like, I wonder what it's like to beekeep, you know? So around that time, I just had like a shift in thinking. So when SF Sketchfest came around, uh, it, it really uh, changed my mind about what I was going to do. Uh, so, you know, normally I go to podcasts and stand up and whatever. And, and I sort of kind of felt like, yeah, you know, all these podcasts, they get released, you know, for free anyway. And I'm going to go pay money to see that. And it's just going to be people talking, sitting at a table. I'm like, nah. So instead... Uh, oh, of course, we always go to the Thrilling Adventure Hour. By the way, if you're not watching the Thrilling Adventure Hour, or not, no one's watching the Thrilling Adventure Hour, if you're not listening to the Thrilling Adventure Hour, you're missing maybe one of the best podcasts uh, being produced. Uh, entertainment podcasts, I should say. I mean, you know, go listen to your radio labs and your hardcore history and all that jazz. But for just sheer entertainment value, nothing better than uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour and Doug Loves Movies. Oh, by the way, uh, musically, um, I'm just going to whip something up in like Audition or Garage Band or something because... Uh, A, I thought of recording this podcast at the very last second because I took the day off. This is how much Sketchfest I did over the weekend is I didn't have any time to do anything else. So I was like, well, nerds to that. And the job I'm at, I get four weeks of vacation right out of the gate. Four weeks. I mean, obviously, I have to accrue it, you know, over the year. So every quarter I accrue a week of vacation. But, you know, it's not like most of these jobs where it's just like you get two weeks and then five years later you get another week or another four days or whatever. Nope. Four weeks. And it's because this is a British, originally a British company. And they felt weird about saying like, oh, you Americans, eh, you only get two. Whereas over here in jolly old England, pip, pip, we get four. So suck it. No. Uh, So anyway, so I took the day off because uh, I I wanted to get all of this stuff out uh, while it was still fresh in my head. uh, But I came up with that idea about an hour ago. So uh, and I think I think, you know, usually I put the music in there to like sort of spark my memories and interests and things to talk about. Whereas this after what I did this weekend, we don't need any music to divert uh, my focus. And I think it would honestly, it would drive people insane because I'd probably get, you know, halfway through. Oh, and the most important thing he said was, oh, look at this song, blah. And then I would forget to come back to the thing. And then you'd have to wait, you know, another four and a half months before I released another podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, you remember that thing four and a half months ago? I forgot to tell you. Well, here's the end. Uh, I'm not interested. I like it. Look, I love callbacks. Don't get me wrong. But... Uh, that is the longest callback ever, which I am trying to do at Max FunCon if they do overheards uh, with Stop Podcasting Yourself again. 
uh, which I hope they do, uh, but who knows, it might be Mabim Bam or something else. So, uh, okay, so enough of a preamble, uh, let's get into it. So I took two classes this time. Uh, one was Rob Paulson's uh, voice acting class. Now, again, I would have loved to have been a voice actor. Um, maybe I can do voices, maybe I can't, I don't know. Certainly I can't do them as well as Rob Paulson. Oh, and I should back up, for those people who don't know Rob Paulson by name or face, uh, he has been the voice of your cartoons uh, since the mid-80s. Uh, he started out doing uh, uh, Snowblind, I think he said, from G.I. Joe from like, I don't know, 82, 83, whenever that was. And he had a voice in the Transformers. And then most people know him as either Arthur from The Tick, uh, the animated series, not the live action. And uh, he also was Pinky and Pinky in the Brain. And also in Animaniacs, he was uh, Yakko. Um, uh, And then then Wacko was the guy who does a Ringo Starr impression. And then Dot is actually a woman. <laughs> I'm a woman. And uh, so so he did a voice acting class. Uh, oh, and he's also a voice of uh, one of the Ninja Turtles. Anyway, he did this voice acting class. And there were a lot of people in there who were like, I'm going to break into voice acting. And it's like, you know, it, he's really great. He is so enthusiastic and so upbeat and so positive. But it you know, the chances of breaking into this are almost none, right? Because unless you do amazing voices or you do amazing impressions or unless you're doing something, you know, that 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 you people just can't live without, you're not getting in because Rob is so good and he can do so many different voices. The dude's in his late 50s and he's playing a Teenage Ninja Turtle, right? That's the key word. Teenage. He is playing alongside Sean Astin from Lord of the Rings, also not a teenager, but who is almost half his age, you know, and and he's standing toe to toe with him. So why would they hire you? Because they know Rob is a cool dude. He's chill. They he takes direction well. He can do a thousand voices. Why would they have you? You know, uh, you're an unknown quantity, and unless you, you are in some sort of crazy bargain basement production, and they can't afford a Rob Paulson, or he's busy. But it's weird. Rob, you know, Rob, Rob is busy, but he's also not busy. So uh, the chances are, you know, and if he's not busy, they've got a list of 20 other people who can also do voices. And they don't just do a voice, right? Like he's not H. John Benjamin from Archer or Bob's Burgers, a dude who has made his career on one voice. Even John Benjamin, though, he does one voice. But you watch him in Archer and you watch him in Bob's Burgers, wildly different character, right? So his acting carries him through. That's the other thing. These guys are great actors. They're not just a voice. So now, again, why would they hire you? Because you're just some dipshit who thinks he can do funny voices. All right, now if I sound bitter, I am. But, you know, um, when we were doing... When I was, and I brought this up in the class, uh, when I was doing industrial videos, uh, when I was right out of college, we occasionally would try and hire somebody else that was based off of, you know, an audition tape or a reel or something. And, you know, we would listen to it and it wouldn't be that great or whatever. And then we would just say, you know what, let's just go hire Mary Diltz because Mary Diltz is great. And these are industrial videos. And who gives a shit if she's in every single one of them? And these voice actor guys, you know, the good ones, you can't tell they're the same guy from you know, cartoon to cartoon to cartoon. Like, I never, ever... Like, the Animated Tick series is one of my favorites. I never listened to that and went, oh, that's the same guy who did Pinky. 
or that's the same guy who does a Ninja Turtle. They all sound different. And so if you can get a guy who can do many, many different voices, then hire him. Because, uh, you know, uh, some shithead who can only do a couple of voices, um, he's an unknown quantity. The Rob Paulson can do 20 voices. And mind you, the contract only is good for three voices. That's the weird thing about the voiceover world. The way the contracts are set up is you hire a person for at whatever rate and they can get you to do two more voices. Uh, and that was that was really surprising to me because I was like, this seems just this like an arbitrary number. Oh, yeah, you get two more voices. Oh, oh all right. Sure. One, two, four, whatever. Which, of course, is great for John Benjamin because they never ask him to do more than one because, you know, he doesn't. So, um, what, oh, um, well, anyway, so let, let's just dive into what I learned. It's going to be, you know, some of it's just going to be anecdotal. Some of it's actually going to be technique. Um, but hey, where are we going, right? You're in your car. I'm standing in the office. We're not going anywhere. We got time. Why not? So, uh, one of the, so even before the class started, Oh, by the way, my apologies to uh, Alexis Perplexus, uh, listener to the podcast. Uh, he was with me through most of Sketchfest. He didn't do the same activities I did, but um, he got to hear all of my stories after I come home from what I did. So he's heard all this before. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, but rare, the uh, other two people who listen to this podcast, uh, this is new to you. So even before the class started, uh, Alexis and I were in the car together and we were talking about Rob Paulson. So for those of you who've seen the movie Fight Club, obviously we all know how much I love it. There is a scene in which, oh my God, wait, um, I have to, a quick tangent. There is a website out there that, um, it, it, he, so at the end of Fight Club, spoiler alert, three, two, one, at the end of Fight Club, we it's revealed that the Brad Pitt character does not exist. A uh, figment of his imagination. So this website goes on to say, oh no, no, not only is Brad Pitt imaginary, um, uh, Helena Bottom Carter is imaginary, uh, Meatloaf is imaginary, the actor, not the food, and maybe even most, or if not all, Project Mayhem is made up. Uh, there is no Paper Street House. It's it's a really fascinating read uh, because, you know, some of the stuff is, eh, it's a bit of a stretch, but some of it is dead on. Like, whoa, that's crazy. And it's stuff that, like, I can't believe I never saw before. Anyway, so um, what the what, just the one more thing about that website is the what it theorizes is the only thing that is true in the movie is that... Uh, Ed Norton's character has gotten testicular cancer. And then when we see him in the testicular cancer support group, that's actually him in the support group. Right. And then everything else from there is just about him potentially losing his balls. It's, it's a really great read. Um, uh, you know, friends of mine on Facebook, I, I put a link up to it. Uh, just Google that shit and you'll find it. Anyway, so uh, Meatloaf, when he dies, uh, Meatloaf's character's name is Rob Paulson. The same as the voiceover actor. So um, when, the, he, when Meatloaf dies... And so over and over again, they say his name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. So Rob Paulson, of course, most people don't recognize, again, his face or his name. But, you know, sometimes he has to present his ID or his credit card or whatever. And then they see and then they look at it and they go, hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Have you seen this uh, movie Fight Club? And of course, you know. He's the 1,000th time this has happened. And of course, every idiot in the world thinks they're the first one to say this to him. Yeah, sure you are, chief. So in the beginning, he was like, oh, yeah, uh you know. But now he's just taken to openly fucking with people where he's like, 
Yeah, oh yeah, I know Fight Club. That that movie was based on me. Oh yeah. No, no, they threw my name in as like an homage, but no, no, it's me. So it's just great that, that he's just like, ah, eh, why not? Let's have some fun. So, um, so I, that's what I learned because we, Alexis and I were driving in going, I wonder if, uh, he gets this a lot, you know, and sure enough, he does. So, uh, in no particular order, um, here's the things I learned from Rob Paulson's voiceover acting class. Um, the, the big thing is everybody wants to know, like, how do I bust into voice acting? Well, unfortunately, he can't tell you because he stumbled into voice acting by accident. He was, uh, an actor who was doing like commercials and shit. And then just one day somebody was like, Hey, uh, how about you do this uh, voiceover thing? I believe his first voiceover audition was for the Got Milk campaign about uh, it's the it's like one of the first Got Milks where the guy is like a security night uh, security night watchman at a museum and he's guarding like all the Aaron Burr uh, Alexander Hamilton memorabilia duel stuff and Robert Paulson plays the guy on the radio who is like the DJ going. All right, uh, first caller who can tell me uh, who was the man who shot Alexander Hamilton. And then, you know, the guy goes, oh, boy, oh, boy. Like when he calls in on the phone, he's like, oh, sorry, uh, I can't understand. You're going to go on to the next caller. So uh, that was his first gig. Again, no idea it was him. So that's how he got into voice acting. So, all right, sorry, everybody. Zero help there. Um, and then, uh, oh, so one of the, the most amazing things that I learned from this voice acting is uh, the idea of repurposing voices. And so uh, when you go for a voice acting audition, they don't tell you what voice they want you to do. All they tell you is, like, this is what the character is about, and they give you the the drawings of the character. And uh, if you've ever seen them, they are basically, uh, like, eight different rotations of the same character. So it's, like, front, side, three-quarter side, back, you know, view of the character. And you get a sense of, like, you know, how much they weigh and how tall they are and all that stuff. So... What he does a lot of the time is he takes an old voice that he's already done and changes it by adding just subtle stuff. So, for instance, uh, he had a character that talked like this, and he was like, he was going up for uh, the professor in Animaniacs. Um, uh, well, he was trying to, well, you know, he, 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 I don't know. He was just looking for a new voice for that professor. I think he already had the job. And so he had a voice like this. And then he said, okay, well, I want to use that voice. But because this is like a, a scientist, you know, kind of like experimenting with gene splicing. Uh, let's make him a German because they're creepy and weird. So then he takes a voice like this. And then he puts the German accent into it. And now he has a new voice for the Animaniacs. Right? Subtle difference, but different enough that no one would ever say like, oh, it's that other voice. Because now he's got this, you know, German accent. And yeah, probably if you took, you know, you sat down on a Saturday afternoon and rented, you know, Goof Troop, which is the original voices from, and Animaniacs and put them side to side, you'd be like, oh something's something's up but you know of course nobody does that and you know this is years apart between the two so why not but that whole idea of like oh no no no, no. you don't have to start from scratch you can take a thing and tweak it one of the other things that he talks about too is ripping off unknown dead celebrities or not even celebrities people in movies and he was throwing out all kinds of names, names I'd never even heard of. And in fact, you know, he was struggling at one point to think of another name. And I threw out Peter Lorre, uh, the guy that um, 
uh, Ren from Ren and Stimpy is essentially based on. And he looked at me and he goes, no, 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 too famous, too famous. We need somebody more. And, and you know, Peter Lorre uh, didn't have the biggest career. At least, I mean, he did at the time, but not now. I mean, he's in Casablanca and he's in like Arsenic and Old Lace. But I, I defy you to, uh, maybe he's in the Maltese Falcon, but, you know, it's not like he's... Uh, you know, top of mind on everybody's head of like, oh, it's that guy. But even even then, still too famous. We need more more obscure. And he and his idea was go see a movie, find a character char- character a character in there, and do his voice. And you're gonna have a voice, but nobody will know what it came from because he's so goddamn obscure. Make sure he's obscure. Don't just look at him and go like, Oh, Joseph Cotton, I've never heard of him before. Yeah, you might want to do a little bit of research. But piggybacking on this idea from also uh, uh, last year when, uh, or maybe two years ago, when I went to see uh, Roman Mars, the guy who does the 99% Invisible Design podcast, he was interviewed on Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, and his idea was um, do, what was it? It was a formula. It was like impression m- minus skill equals unique style, right? So if you look at somebody and they're like, 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 you know those people who, like, sit in museums and just try and copy a famous work of art, and they just sit there in the museum, and they're sketching, sketching, and, you know, maybe got their charcoals out or their pastels or whatever, and they're drawing, and they're sketching, and they're doing stuff. Um, that those people don't develop their own style because they get so good at copying somebody else's style that the, that if you said to them like oh give me something in the style of Monet or Manet or Manet's then they can do it and then you're just like oh dummy you're just ripping off this other dude whereas if you're someone like myself uh, and I was looking to do a cartoon voice or a painting or whatever, I could say like, oh, I want to do this in the style of, um, you know, Joseph Cotton. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to do a Joseph Cotton impression. I know that. I'm not that good of an impressionist. Um, but what I will wind up with is a unique thing that is so fucking far away from what Joseph Cotton actually sounds like that no one's going to call me out on it and say like, oh, you're just stealing Joseph Cotton. I'll be like, keep in mind, I'm not even really 100% sure who Joseph Cotton is. I think he's the guy in Casablanca who plays the French lieutenant who was also in Gaslighting. I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Pretty sure. Anyway, so that is a way of developing your own style and, and, and new voices and new techniques and, and other things without just, you know, without anybody saying like, oh, you're just ripping off that other dude. Oh, one of the other things that was really interesting uh, from the Rob Paulson thing was he would, in, in the way that he would tweak voices that he had done before sometimes to to add an extra dimension to a character you know i remember one time um charles fleischer stand-up comedian from the 80s charles fleischer uh once did oh well he was the voice of roger rabbit and i all i know you all know who roger rabbit is uh roger rabbit uh when he did it um he was like, well, Roger Rabbit has to have a speech impediment. Absolutely just has to have it. Every great, Charles Fleischer's exact words were, every great cartoon character has a speech impediment. So whether it's Bugs Bunny or Sylvester or Tweety or Daffy Duck, they all have a speech impediment. So I need to give my character a speech impediment. Just to put the end of on Charles Fleischer, I can't do it that well, but basically what, what his speech impediment is he would go like, Please, Eddie. And so it was that sort of flapping of the cheek 
uh, was, was his impediment. So to subtly introduce a thing like that, Rob Paulson decided on one of his characters, can't remember which one, uh, he should have a lazy L. So immediately, as soon as he said that, my hand shot up and I was like, what the hell is a lazy L? Um, and of course, I'm the asshole. Oh, I am such the asshole in these classes. I just have a thousand questions and everybody else is very respectful and lets the man talk. And I'm just like, you know, he talks about, you know, being uh, in G.I. Joe. My hand shoots up. Which character? He says this. I'm like, what's he sound like? Well, he sounds like this. And then he does. And it's great. But I'm well, we'll, we'll get to how Kevin McDonald reacted to that. A lazy L is what, like, Tom Brokaw has. So if, it's, if you would say, uh, there was trouble in Liberia, you know, it's, it's not, a, not trouble in Liberia, it's Liberia. So you're almost like putting the L in the back of your throat rather than, and, you know, really enunciating it with the tip of the tongue. The tip of the teeth and the tip of the tongue. Um, so he and it's and it's such an obs- just a subtle difference that makes this cartoon character a l- even like lazier. Honestly, I mean, if it's a lazy L, I mean, he's just like, "Hey man, I'm I'm lying down by the river," you know. And it's just it's just a just a subtle little thing that gives him this extra depth. And, you know, differentiates it like if he was repurposing it from another voice. Okay, so I guess that's sort of the bulk of what I learned from Rob Paulson. Uh. Let's jump over uh, to the kids in the halls. Uh, Kevin McDonald. There's a cat on my head. There's a cat on my head. Uh, If you want to see Kevin McDonald's... uh, what I think his greatest contribution... Well, there's two two things that I really, really love that Kevin did. One was this sketch uh, you called... Uh, Citi- well, we call it Citizen Kane, and he called it Citizen Kane, so let's just call it Citizen Kane. And it's basically... It's two guys in a diner. Dave Foley plays the other one, and he saw a movie last night and he's describing it to Kevin McDonald and it is so clearly Citizen Kane and Kevin McDonald just keeps like screaming at him it's Citizen Kane it's Citizen Kane and it's it's so funny because we all have had that friend especially pre-internet who is like no 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 it's this guy and it's like no it wasn't that guy stop it and so um so I really love that, and um, and so uh, and oh, so go look at that on YouTube because that's really funny. And uh, the other thing that he really did, which was he didn't do a lot of recurring characters, but my favorite recurring character that he did was uh, Sir Simon something or other. I can't remember the character's name. Sir Simon something and his manservant Hecubus, and he's kind of like, I, I can't really remember, it's been a while since I've seen that sketch uh, they did many of them but it was one of the a few times I'm sorry, it's it's it's. Uh, I couldn't really figure out what it was like, it, it had the feeling of being a late night horror movie talk, you know, like that guy who introduces horror movies but um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to go watch that again. But anyway, go watch your, that and you can get yourself some a good dose of Kevin McDonald. Interestingly enough, about the Citizen Kane sketch, the, one of the things that he talked about was, you know, there are times when they would just, you know, get together to write and everybody would come in with like a premise. Sometimes it was just like a title of a sketch and uh, they would, you know, pick the ones that they liked and, and, you know, and then they would work on those. And not always, though. Like, sometimes they just came out of nowhere. So at one point, do, you know, it was Dave Foley and Kevin McDonald, and they were in a diner. And uh, Dave Foley just started doing this thing where he's like, oh, you know, I saw this movie last night. And, 
And then once they were done with lunch, he was like, great, that's a sketch. Boom. We're done. We did, we did, we did a thing. Great. And, and it's, you know, something that casual. And yet it's one of those things that I still remember and loved from the show. Um, one of the interesting things that Kevin did now, I would also recommend if you do like yourself some kids in the hall, and if you have not listened to Kevin McDonald's episode on WTF, uh, I don't know if it's still in the free pile. I think it might be. It's still pretty recent. Uh, definitely check that out because he talks about in great detail, like, like this guy was good at writing and this guy was good at ideas and and you know and oh no he split them up into two groups that's right he said this guy had the talent and this guy had the fire and there was there was bruce mccullough who had both and the rest had one or the other and uh one of the things that was really interesting about that uh he would also talk about like oh this person was really good at acting and this person was really good at writing and this person and so he went through everybody's strengths himself he says uh i'm really good at playing silly characters which is the problem once we get to the movie brain candy which i totally forgot that they the kids in the hall made a movie and apparently dave foley uh, was originally supposed to play the lead in Brain Candy, and then Kevin McDonald would be, you know, one of many silly characters that they encounter throughout the movie. And then Dave Foley decided he didn't want that. Uh, I can't remember if it was just because he was busy doing other things or what, but he was just like, no, I don't want to be the lead. Well, he had signed a contract to be in the movie, but he didn't want to be the lead. So now Kevin McDonald was in the lead. And he was like, yeah, you know, that was one of the big problems of that movie is that's not my strength. Which is really interesting to, to think of in that way. And I think that's a problem that most celebrities don't understand. It's like uh, Chris Rock. Chris Rock tried to be the lead in many movies that he did not write and that's not his skill. He's great at coming in and, you know, being the sarcastic guy or whatever. But he's not the lead. Now, of course, he just made this movie, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to see, uh, called Top Five. And it's essentially, you know, it's, 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 it's not like a biopic of his life, but the character is essentially Chris Rock. So the idea of, you know, getting somebody else to play Chris Rock is just stupid. But anyway, so um, one of the other things that he talked, Kevin McDonald talked about in terms of writing, dealing with somebody who um, didn't have the fire, which is my greatest annoyance, is finding talented people and then them just not being motivated to do anything. And it's just sort of maddening because I'm just like, what? why not? Like, uh, okay, uh, I, he's not going to listen to this and I'll talk shit about him. Uh, we, I was in a band for a while, quite recently, maybe a couple years ago. And it was, I played bass, we had a songwriter, and we had a drummer. And the drummer, I would say, was probably the most talented one in the band. Um, the songwriter wrote great songs, but he couldn't play guitar. I mean, he he was hard on himself. I thought he did a fine job playing guitar, but he was not happy with it, and he wasn't happy singing. Um, but the drummer was definitely a better musician than all of us. And it was really weird, because I'm a guy who has tons of fire, uh, tons of passion, loves to create things all the time, and yet my talent disappoints me frequently. And then we get this drummer who, you know, I. this is the other thing that was so maddening about the project was with the internet, and we all have high-speed internet in, this, in the group that we were dealing with, all I wanted to say was, look, we're going to make this real easy on everybody. At the time, nobody had any kids. Everybody had their own, like, sort of home studio. And I was just like, go take a Wednesday night, it's a five-minute song. You're a very talented drummer. You need to do maybe two takes, tops, 
Just do it. Do it. Make it, mix it down. Don't mix it down. I don't give a shit. Just give me the files. I'll deal with it. So that was too much for him. Like he just couldn't get it together. And it was really because there was no end date. There was no goal, right? So I was just, I wasn't there to hover over him. And, and that's eventually what we had to do. And we had to totally violate the entire premise of this arrangement because he needed somebody lording over him and forcing him to do this, which sucked balls because he lived in fucking San Jose. And to go down on San Jose on a weeknight was challenging. And I was unemployed at the time, so I guess it was fine for me. And then the other dude, the singer-songwriter, he's like an independent contractor, so he it wasn't that bad for him. But it sucked, because this should have been easy. And yet, he made it hard, because he didn't have the fire. And someone like me who's got the fire, when I see somebody with who's got talent, I don't understand why you just wouldn't be doing this all the time? Why wouldn't you be doing this all the time if you were good at something and you enjoyed it? And that's the other thing, he enjoys this. Now, to be fair, he does play in a lot of other bands. Bands where he gets paid. Bands that have gigs. Has a deadline, has a place, you gotta show up and be there at this time, and you get paid. And it doesn't matter if anybody shows up, you're there at the Brazilian restaurant playing... Brazilian music, I guess. I don't know what you call it. Anyway, so one of the interesting things uh, when he was going down the list, when Scott Ta- or Kevin Kevin McDonald was going down the list of all the cast members, and he was saying what their strengths were, uh, he said Scott Thompson is really good at being Scott Thompson, and. If you don't remember which one Scott Thompson is, Scott Thompson uh, usually uh, played this character named Buddy. He was a very flamboyant gay guy, just like Scott Thompson. And he would do a lot of monologues, and they were they were really good. But he said that, you know, uh, he really was good at writing for himself. And he had... And then, you know, and then he went on to talk about... Uh, Later on, he went on to talk about how Scott Thompson had the fire and he would come in with like 17 sketch ideas and everybody and like out of the 17, like the group would pick like two that they liked. And of course, Scott Thompson would get all mad and he'd be like, this is, you know, your guys are against me because I'm gay and whatever. And they're just like, no, the others are crap. And what what at one point during the class uh, Scott Tom- or Kevin McDonald uh, talked about having a point of view and how he really enjoys um, uh, sketches and movies and stuff that has a point of view and he in fact talked about um, Chappelle show versus oh, I can't remember which one it was um, some other sketch show and he was like look I enjoy both of those um but if you if I had to pick only one, I'd pick Chappelle show because that has a rock solid point of view, right? Like you know that like even even if those sketches aren't written by Dave Chappelle, they feel like they were. It's just like uh, so I married an axe murderer, right? Like you you would think looking at that, oh Mike Myers wrote that, but he didn't. But it's so in his voice and his style that you're like, he must have written it, but he didn't. And so that really excites Scott Thompson. So, I'm sorry, Kevin McDonald. It excites Kevin McDonald. I don't know why I keep saying Scott Thompson. Um, But so then I shoot up my hand and I say, do you think that part of the reason why most of you didn't like Scott Thompson's sketches is because... He was so good at writing for himself that he was unable to write for other people. And he was like, oh, yeah. I never, and, and, and I believe 
and I'm gonna toot my own horn, I believe Kevin McDonald said, I'd never thought of that before. Yay me! Woo! Okay, so let's get into some of the other things that uh, Kevin McDonald talked about. The other really interesting thing that he really likes in movies is, first of all, he hates... It's kind of confusing, but he, he has this division between plot and story. Now... To most people, they're kind of the same thing. Uh, and I, it took me a long time to really try and figure out what the difference was. And I'm still not 100% sure. What I think the difference is, is that plot is really code for formula, right? So there is this whole formula that movies follow, which is, you know, act one you do this, act two, you do this, act three, you do this. And each act is essentially a third of a movie and it becomes formulaic. Uh, occasionally you'll see a movie like uh, Unbreakable, which is essentially a one-act movie. And so act one is what is, uh, what's the setup, right? And so, you know, who are the characters? What is their deal? You know, wh why, why do they do what they do? All that jazz. Who, what, where, when, why. Uh, and, and if you look at Unbreakable, it's essentially a one-act movie. It's not until like the last, you know, 15 minutes where he, spoiler alert, three, two, one, where he gets and 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 sort of no you know he he has the powers throughout the entire movie it's only in the last 15 minutes where he actually uses them and then you're like whoa okay and it almost kind of makes you wish for a sequel because it's like okay we spent this entire movie up into the point where he gets his powers let's go spend another movie where he's got the powers okay so getting back to kevin mcdonald so plot versus story so uh, story is more like why a character does a thing, what motivates them, all of that stuff. And so if you focus, his, his tools for writing are focus on the story, not the plot, not the formula, but focus on the story and what drives the story and what drives the character. But more interesting than that, I liked what he had to say about you know, always going back to what is this story about? And then once you know what the story is about, what is the about about? This I loved. So the about, <clears throat> let's take a, an, an example. So, so his example that he always uses is Spinal Tap. And Spinal Tap, if you say, what is this movie about? You would say it's a band who's kind of trying to make a comeback and, and you know, do this tour. And it's a documentary, a mockumentary about them. Uh, but if you say, what is the about about, the sort of underlying subtext is, it's less about the band, but it's more about the relationships between the individual band members and how it slowly starts to decay because, you know, um, Michael McKeon, whatever character he plays, he brings his girlfriend in, which is kind of the Yoko Ono of the band, and she, you know, kind of drives a wedge between them and, uh, you know, people get mad because she's there and all this stuff. But anyway, so that's what the about is about. And uh, we did... We did uh, uh, one of those uh, uh, story exercises where you get five people standing in a row, and then the one, like the teacher, points at you, and you just talk, you know, building a story until you know he points to somebody else, and and you can do this where it's just you know each person says one word, and you just go down the row, or you know you do it where he's pointing, and you have to just keep talking and talking. And we, uh, oh, this story isn't very good. But anyway, so um, we we started out something about the Beatles. I can't remember what. And then um, we introduced this character named Jarvis, who was going to be in the Beatles, but then they kicked him out. 
And then the story wound up being less about the Beatles and more about the story of Jarvis and like what he did with his life after he got kicked out of the Beatles. I don't know what the, how that relates to anything I was just saying. I just thought it was neat. Oh, because, um, oh yeah, to toot my own horn again. So Kevin McDonald was like, oh, you know, the story went this way and then that way. And, and then, you know, it was uh, less about the... You know, it was like, oh, and then we, no, I believe what he said was, oh, you know, we, we did this thing. It was the story of the Beatles. And then I said, but it was really about the story of Jarvis. And then he looks back and he goes, right, right, Jarvis, Jarvis, whatever. Yeah, it was just really about the story of Jarvis. So uh, one of the other things that, so anyway, so let's just talk about quickly uh, his tips. So, um, you know, follow, if, you, if you're having writer's block, follow your lead character, uh, or follow the one character who isn't necessarily the lead character, but the character who has the most development over time. Now, this is not always a good idea because, of course, if you take a movie like Karate Kid, the one who has the most development over time is actually Billy Zabka. It's not Ralph Macchio. So, you know, Ralph Macchio grows a little bit, but really, Billy Zabka is the one by the end of the thing who's like totally different. Um, so, uh, keep your, your idea simple, uh, and, and defend that simple idea. As soon as you start violating that idea, then the movie's just all over the place or the sketch or whatever. Uh, one other tip that he, he has is if you are, uh, getting stuck, try and work through it. Think of other ideas. But don't stop until you have an idea. Uh, and then, you know, start the next day with that idea. Because, uh, you know, you don't want to stop in the middle and just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then worry about it all night. And then you wake up the next morning and then you're still worried about it. And you still don't know what you're doing. So at least have something that you can do the next time you write. Now... He's written a lot of screenplays uh, and pilots and things that have never gotten produced. But because, you know, uh, the difference being uh, this next piece of advice doesn't really work for sketches, but it works better for like longer form things, which is he tries when he writes, he tries to write a lot as much as he can. And then as soon as he gets stuck, he puts it down for couple of weeks two or three weeks and by that time when he picks it back up again he's forgotten things he sees it all differently you know you're a different person you maybe he's gotten new ideas and then so he'll just start writing and writing and writing again and then when he gets stuck now he can go back to rewriting and he can rewrite uh the first you know pages that he did three weeks ago with fresh eyes and different and then he can fix that and then by the time he has done fixing the first thing he can then go back and um uh look rewrite the new part and then hopefully come up with something after he's done rewriting the new part you know, have another thing that he can tack on. And then so it's it's kind of this infinite loop of rewriting the first bit and then writing a new bit and then rewriting the old bit. And then, you know, and so it just keeps going and going and going. And rewriting uh, is, you know, everybody will tell you it's, it's really super important. Oh, okay. Oh, so uh, I should also say that um, uh, he spent... He had a break in his career for like a couple of months and he decided that he wanted to be a guest writer on Saturday Night Live for two weeks, which is about a good amount of time to do it uh, because there, you know, there is that one night where it's, you know, five o'clock in the morning every week and that can really uh, wear you out after a while. So uh, he was like, and this was, uh, he wrote on the Melissa McCarthy episode, I think this was last year, and uh, Vince Vaughn. And I, so I asked him, I said, uh, Vince Vaughn um, did a thing in the monologue, even though it's not really a monologue, where he wanders out into the crowd 
and just kind of like talks to a woman and gives her like a pep talk for like, I don't know, seven minutes or something. And I asked him, I said, I don't understand. Like when, when stuff comes up, that's improvised. I don't understand like why Lauren puts up with that because he's such a, uh, so, so interested in everything being timed out to the second. Like, why would he do that? And, Interestingly enough, uh, Kevin McDonald said, well, Lauren always defers to the guest. His main concern is that the guest is comfortable and happy, which I, I guess I understand. Um, to me, if it was me, I would say, uh, fuck it. Uh, just let's put on the best show that we can and who cares what the guest wants to do? Which is interesting because in the old days of Saturday Night Live, it was less about having the host in every single sketch. And I don't know when the shift happened, but definitely now if you watch Saturday Night Live, the host is in every single sketch. And that's a bad idea. Um, I certainly remember when, um, you know, back in, in the Chevy Chase days, they had the press secretary that Gerald Ford hosts the show, and the dude was in, like, three sketches. And uh, they had, I think in the Jesse Jackson episode, uh, when Martin Short was on, well, that wasn't that wasn't Lauren Michaels, so maybe that was part of it. But again, he was in, like, four sketches. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I thought that was just a neat uh, behind-the-scenes Saturday Night Live kind of thing. Oh, uh, so anyway, so uh, part of our homework was to bring in one-line sketches or, or premises, and then um, we would he would pick out of the 24. There were 24 people, and most people had two or three pitches. Um, that uh, so that's what are you looking at? Uh, almost 75 uh, different premises. He boiled it down to five. And um, just to give you a sense of what uh, got picked. Uh, so anyway, so I'll, first of all, I'll, I'll read you the ones that I thought were funny that didn't get picked. Uh, uh, one was uh, the one that was pitched was sarcastic man robs a bank. I thought that was funny. Um one that got a laugh, but I, oh no, I didn't get a laugh. I couldn't, I didn't understand the premise. And so I actually went up to the person and I was like, I don't, I don't get this. It was gay up my haunted house. And I, I asked him, I was like, well, what does that mean? And he was like, well, you know, it's like queer eye for the straight guy, except, you know, he would, guy would come in and he'd be like, ugh, this blood coming out of the walls. I don't love it. Cover it up. And then I was like, well, but wouldn't there be somebody there going, no, 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 that's the point. It's a haunted house. We're supposed to have blood coming out of the walls. And he didn't, he, he do not know. It was weird. It was weird how many of these people in the sketch writing class kind of stopped at the premise. Like they didn't do any thoughts past that. Um, uh, the one that got a huge laugh was ghosts obsessed with jewelry. Don't know what that is. Um, so one of the ones that got picked was there's a butterfly wing in my soup. I asked the, the, a guy about that and I was like, so what's that about? And he's like, I don't know. I just like the title. Okay. Uh, and they made it kind of good. Um, it was not one of my favorite sketches that, that they, oh, so that was the thing is once we do, once we, once he picks the five, then we, uh, get broken into groups and then we have to turn these into something. Um, and then, uh, oh, pet shop, uh, for Velociraptor. Um, uh, don't know, don't know what that is. Uh, an extroverted spy. Uh, yeah, that one, that one also I did not love. Uh, and then, oh, and then one of the ones that did get picked, too, uh, was uh, Smurfette uh, Speed Dating. That's what it was. Smurfette Speed Dating. And I thought, instantly, my brain went to Smurfette, who is the only girl in Smurf Village, and she's going speed dating with the other Smurfs. And so I thought that would be really funny, because then you could just do, 
you know, one Smurf after another, and they each get, like, a sentence or something, and then we move on to the next Smurf, and the next Smurf, and the next Smurf, and then you could, you could introduce Smurfs that are just ridiculous, that, like, clearly aren't Smurf, like, Heart Attack Smurf, or, you know, Scabies Smurf, or whatever. And so, uh, what well, they did the opposite. They went with, um, uh, uh, Smurfette date, trying to date real people and uh, you know and so like she tries to date a cop or, or she goes through the speed dating with a cop and she gives him the, you know, the nickname Copy and uh, you know and, and, and she describes you know the Smurf village and he's like it sounds like a commune to me and I'm not interested so anyway so this, the sketch I was in is called Bronchitis um, this was absolutely the one I did not want to be in. It sounded like the weakest of all the premises, and it wound up, and maybe I'm biased because I'm in the sketch, wound up being my favorite. Um, I think we had, I think, you know, it was a talk show, so we had that framework, and everybody knows what a talk show is, and so we already had, like, the tropes of the talk show, like, um, we had a, you know, it was the host, he had a band leader, we had guests, you know, that, that structure was already laid out. So it wasn't very hard for us to make it into something. The guy who played the host was really good. I mean, this guy could be a host in real life, you know, and the guy who played the band leader was great because he looked he looked like a band leader. It was so weird. He looked like, you know, he was, uh, he looked, you know, vaguely Hispanic and he had, you know, the right facial hair and, you know, I, t I totally bought it. Uh, and then the woman who was playing the beauty contestant did a great job. Uh, the guy who played the little boy, not so much. Uh, and then me, so I didn't care, right? Like I've done enough improv where I don't need to be on stage as much as maybe everybody else needs to be on stage. Because, you know, look, this is a dumb class. It's not, well, it's a great class, don't get me wrong, but it's not leading to anything. This isn't, we're not auditioning for anything. So the idea behind Bronchitis, the TV show, was uh, the host and the band leader have bronchitis. And, and in this made-up world, uh, the host gave it to the band leader. Now, only like 10% of all bronchitis is bacterial. It's usually you get it from uh, something irritating the lining of your lungs and then you have um, uh, a, like a compromised immune system and then you get bronchitis. And so what the reason this whole thing came about is because the guy playing the host uh, like three weeks ago, actually had bronchitis. And so when he was coughing his brains out, he was like, oh, this would be a really funny idea for a talk show. By the way, this guy uh, lives in LA and came up just for SF Sketchfest, and I think just for this class, and he's got a really interesting job. He works for a sports... I can't remember what he called it, but it's like a sports management company where he, like the management company manages um, uh, celebrity or, I mean, athletes. And then he tries to find ways of like bringing them into movies or sketches or like things on funny or die where they can like be in there, but also like, uh, show off that they're wearing the Nike shoes that they have an endorsement deal with. Like it's this whole convoluted process. Sounds like a really neat job. And what he did was he pitched an idea that's sort of like comedians and cars getting coffee, except it's comedians and athletes. And so they are going uh, to, they're going to, boy, it's, it's going to be tough though, because not a lot of comedians love sports. And so to try and find those people is going to be tough. Uh, but anyway, he did one uh, already with JB Smoove and uh, 
what's the other guy? Uh, there was some basketball player that I never heard of from like the Washington Wizards. And he said by the end of that shoot, they were not getting along. So anyway, uh, again, I'm going to toot my own horn. Uh, I I uh, was in the sketch, um, but my original thing that I was doing was I was supposed to be the commercial in the commercial break that, you know, is touting this great cure for uh, of, of bronchitis. And then the commercial just mysteriously ends halfway through. And then we go back to the show. And, and so, you know, these guys who have bronchitis, they've had it forever and they can't figure out how to get rid of it. And then here was something that could have been the tool and they just totally ignore it and they don't even show the whole thing. Um, so we do the thing once and Kevin McDonald says, uh, lose the commercial. <laughs> so uh, the one thing I am doing is... Uh, is gone, and that was part of the the rule of the of the class was, in this sketch, every person has to appear. They don't have to have a big role, but they have to be in it. Um, so I so now I'm not in it at all. So now we need to find something for me to do, and the main idea was uh, to get you know the guest. We only had one guest in the, originally, and it was this beauty pageant winner. And a boy suffering from leukemia, or as or as she says, has the cancer, which I thought was a funny line. Uh, and and then you know he's sort of like coughing on this kid, and the kid's got the compromised commu- immune system, and pretty much all the kid says is, "I'm dying," which was funny. Um, so so now we had to find something for me to do. And so they said, well, why don't we have a second guest that but comes out first? And all you'll do is come out and wave like you're, you know, like you're coming out to be a guest. And then you have bronchitis and then you start coughing like crazy. And then, you know, just walk off, like just kind of be like, sorry, couldn't, you know, don't even say anything. Just keep coughing and wave and leave and kind of like, okay, I'm going. And one of the things I was, I so I said, great, totally in, let's do that. Because, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is bloat the sketch with too much garbage. And that was a big thing that Kevin McDonald talked about was, you know, got to trim the fat, trim it, trim it, trim it, and just get it down to its essence and, and as tight as you can. Uh, so obviously we didn't want to bloat the thing. We didn't want to delay getting to the cancer kid. So... I was like, so the one thing that had always bothered me about when we had done the run-throughs of bronchitis is I never really felt like anybody was really going for it. And, and, and that, to me, was the funny part, was just, just, like, coughing your brains out. I just thought it was like, this will make this so much better. Anyway, um, so that's what I did. And it got a laugh. Now, it probably got a laugh because it was the first time anybody had seen it. But I just, I was so thrilled with my performance because I was, I got to the point where I was practically like whistling. I was coughing so hard. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I, if, I did record it. Uh, if it came out good at all, it'll be right here. Anyway, so uh, I'm sure there's lots of stuff I could mention about this class that I didn't. Uh, Maybe that'll be for next time's episode. This is, you know, one of the longer episodes ever because it was essentially three days worth of classes between the Rob Paulson one day and the two day Kevin McDonald. They will probably do it again next year. Uh, I think Kevin McDonald definitely will do it again next year. Rob Paulson, I don't know. But I highly recommend doing it. 
And not just this, but other classes that you just find interesting. Even if you're not gonna set out for a career in whatever that class is, just do it. It's fun, it'll open your eyes, it'll be a whole new experience for you, why not? And as one person in the class put it, I wanted to do something that would get me out of my comfort zone. And, and that was great too, and she was great at it. Oh, I should, I should just say, by the end of the class, I had so many questions for Kevin McDonald that it was kind of clear that uh, he was sick of my questions. <laughs> oh, but there is one funny thing. So, so on the first day, I kind of sat off to the side. Um, but on the second day, I sat right in like dead center front row. And then there was, uh, hang on a second. I'm going to go find what he said to me. Okay, I found it. Um, you know what? Uh, there is, I found a couple of other things that Kevin McDonald said. Um, I, they are very kids in the hall centric, really don't have anything to do with writing. Uh, so I'll just put those off until next time. Uh, and then you can get even more like kids in the hall anecdotes and stuff. But so I was sitting in the front row and I'm just sitting there. And he looks at me and he says, kind of out of nowhere, I think, he goes, you have a face that would naturally suggest anger. <laughs> and then so he referred to me as the angry man for the entire time. And then I would laugh and make jokes. And he was like, oh, you're the happiest angry guy I've ever met. So anyway, that was fun. Okay, so from me. From all the fun I had at SF Sketchfest to the music of Bright Brown. Let's do this one more time. Till then! Are you